It's happened. It's finally happened. We have a movie where Batman tells the Joker, I will fucking kill you. Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of Stay Watching. As always, I'm your host, Larry. So you might have been thinking that today's episode would be a Monday's at the movies because I am technically reviewing a film, but but alas, no. We're gonna treat this like a normal episode, which I mean, technically speaking, Mondays at the movies episodes are treated like normal episodes. So that really means nothing. But this week on the podcast, I am going to talk about the Snyder Cut, or or as it's actually called on HBO Max, Zack Snyder's Justice League, the ultimate redo. Barry Allen ran back in time and stopped them from, no, he didn't stop anybody from releasing the original cut of Justice League in 2017, but we do have a new, some would say, as of right now, definitive cut of the Justice League film, uh, uh, part of the, you know, what was sometimes being referred to as the DCU, EU, the DC Extended Universe, uh, counter to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, DC Comics had their own kind of thing going. So this week on the podcast, I am going to talk about what led us to this new cut. Uh, gonna share my kind of, you know, basic thoughts on it, just like as a pure short review. And then I'm going to kind of get into it and talk about some of the differences between the films, some of the things that stood out to me um, and, and really made me see the value in this, because I, I have to be real. You know, I, I wasn't, you know, even though I recorded an episode a little while ago saying that I am, you know, I was hoping that it would be good. I, one, never thought that we would see the day where this would be released. I was not one of those people who was clamoring for it to be released. Um, and I, I didn't know how much better it could be. And take it from me, it is night and day. Uh, so I'm going to get into all of that on this episode of the podcast. And so, you know, stick around. I will be right back. So as you may know from my episode where I talked about wanting to see Zack Snyder's Justice League turn out to be a good movie, <laughs> um, you know, I, I shared a lot about my feelings of Zack Snyder and his history with the DC Extended Universe. I, I told you about a great article that really highlights everything that happened with the original release of Justice League um, that that chronicled the, the tragedy that befell Zack Snyder's family and, and his need to step away from the project. And then DC bringing in Joss Whedon to Whedonify Justice League. And, and I, I don't know how how much I, I gave you a sense of how bad that Whedon version is, but it is terrible. Uh, before setting off on my journey to 
watch Zack Snyder's Justice League, I, I decided to go back and, and re-watch some of those films. So I had re-watched Man of Steel not too long ago. And, you know, again, I, I had a much more favorable opinion of it this time around than when I had first seen the film. I saw a lot more of what Zack Snyder was trying to do with the character, and it and it really it, it really solidified something that I'm going to talk about more than a few times during this podcast. That Zack Snyder really views the DC heroes as as gods, you know, and and you know, granted, some of them kind of are, uh, but you know, I, I think it's it's a really important point that you know, you really have to think about it. And, and I don't just mean that in terms of, hey, these are sometimes otherworldly beings with immense power, but there are some instances where you have to think about it in the biblical sense. And, and, and I, again, I will come back to that because I think there is a very fine point in Justice League that in some ways redeems something about Batman versus Superman that that a lot of people don't like. So I, I will come back to that point. But revisiting that film, moving into Batman v Superman, which is a challenge for a lot of people. You know, once again, this was an instance where the theatrical cut of the film removed a lot of the exposition, a lot of the a lot of the connective tissue that helped the story make sense. Um, what we saw with a lot of the DC films. Uh, you know, especially the Zack Snyder films is Warner Brothers was really banking on making sure the films weren't too long so that they could keep butts in seats. Like, let's let's be real. Like, at the end of the day, this isn't just about making cool superhero movies. This is about making money because these are film studios. They, they are making their money from people going to see these films in theaters. The shorter a movie is, the more screenings of that movie you can have. And so, you know, there was a thought process that, you know, films that were over that that kind of two hour length, two hours, 20 minutes, two, two hours and a half, two and a half hours, a lot of those would be detrimental to their ability to be financially successful. And so these Zack Snyder films, Batman vs. Superman, Justice League, found themselves being cut down to be a more palatable length for the studios. And when that happens, the theatrical version of BVS that we got, it, it just didn't fully make sense. There were things, there were motivations, there were events that just didn't compute when you were watching the film. And so not long after it was released on Blu-ray or at the time it was released on Blu-ray, there was a, a an ultimate cut of the film that was released. And sure, it was longer, but things made sense. You know, why is Superman on this trial? It wasn't quite clear in the original. It was kind of made to seem like, oh, maybe Superman killed some people, but it didn't make sense within the context of the film and what we had been shown. But in the ultimate cut, that stuff was flushed out. It's explained what's actually going on and why people think that this might have happened. And you get the fuller sense of the setup that people are trying to to kind of pin on Superman. You get a better sense of, you know, where Batman's mentality on all of this is and, and why he doesn't trust Superman and, you know, the Lex Luthor of it all. And so it was kind of the first time that we're shown, hey, 
there is a more complete version of Zack Snyder's vision out there. And so fast forward to Justice League, you know, we, we find out he leaves the project. Joss Whedon's version comes out. It's filled with, you know, recolored scenes, seemingly horrible takes of lines. Um, you know, there's there's some good stuff in there that, you know, the the score, I, I think, is is one of the shining examples from that film, um, though. I, I Again, that's something I, I will come back to because there there are pluses and minuses about that. Um, you know, they, they've injected color into it. So, you know, one thing I'll reference a lot during this is is the joyless tone um, of Zack Snyder films. You know, he he loves to kind of drain the color out of things. And so they have a very washed out look, which isn't necessarily bad. I mean, if you're into that type of color grading, his films are probably for you. Um, but for those who don't like that, you know, like Warner Brothers clearly didn't like that. They wanted to inject some color back into it. So you look at the color grading on the theatrical cut of Justice League and it's much brighter. It's much more vibrant. So you think about it, they've and they've also changed the tone. So, you know, one of the things that's really important to recognize and, and you know, obviously there are going to be spoilers for you know, the Snyderverse movies or the Snyder DC films um, throughout this episode, because, you know, again, it, it's it's almost impossible to talk about this stuff without really getting into the story, because that was the part that was altered the most. Um, but basically, one of the things that we see uh, within these films is they seemingly try to punch it up and add these jokes and add more levity. And it, and it ended up feeling really weird. Like it, it seemed like what DC was saying was, you know, we want quip fests. We want these films to have as many jokes as, as what folks are seeing in the Marvel films. And, you know, I, I've talked about it a little bit on this podcast before. Like I am not the biggest fan of, you know, that the, the kind of Whedonisms um, that we see, especially in the earlier Marvel movies. You know, some good, well-timed jokes are not necessarily a problem, um, but pratfalls, boob jokes, things like that, uh, you know, weird, weird racial jokes, they, they don't, for me, they don't have a place in this type of entertainment. And so when in 2017, this kind of Whedon version of Justice League came out, it, it just didn't feel right, especially having come off of the back of something like Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, where Batman wants to kill Superman because he sees him as a herald of destruction. You know, Batman watched fire rain down from the sky. He watched people who worked for him be, you know, killed as his his building was destroyed in Metropolis. You know, there, there's, there are all of these bits to it where it's just like, this doesn't make sense. That we're gonna get this colorful, humorous film after we watched a movie where Superman died. You know, I just, 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 just thinking about that, like the end of Batman versus Superman is Superman dying. And this, this, you know, really kind of gut wrenching moment where we see dual funerals for Clark Kent and for Superman. And, you know, sure, we, we pick up with 
funerals and and the world is different without superman but tonally it doesn't feel that way tonally it feels like everything's all right let's make jokes all the time oh we're in a silly movie let's have silly fun and, and it takes away some of that some of that feeling that the world has fundamentally changed without superman and that and that's this is something that I feel like both versions of the film struggle with a lot, but the Whedon version of the film struggles with the most. Um, the other thing that we we started to find out, so like as we kind of got away from the release of that film, you know, obviously fans reacted really poorly to it. You know, again, there's there's always a gamut with all of these things. There's some people who are like, yeah, I like that. There's some people who were like, yeah, that was a a fun superhero movie. There's some people that eh, it was just a movie. It was nothing. Like I am of the camp that it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. Like for me, the theatrical cut of Justice League is a nothing film. Um, in comparison to the Snyder cut, I can safely say that it, it's a terrible film now, um, especially realizing what was removed from it. Um, but you know, at the time, it was it was fairly nothing. Like it, it, it I, I probably crapped on it at the time, but realistically speaking, like it it, it, it didn't occupy a lot of my brain space. But we would go on, we would find out that there were things removed that Joss Whedon was her terrible to people like Ray, Frisch Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg uh, on set. He's a black man and, and apparently had a really terrible experience being a part of this film. You know, we would start to hear these things. We would hear folks like Jason Momoa talk about, you know, there's, you know, there's there's a different version of this film. And, and really what we saw was fans rallying around this cry of release the Snyder cut. You know, this idea that Zack Snyder has kind of a black box version of this film that we need to be able to see. And it was interesting because you had people kind of on both sides of this thing. There were some people who were like, it's absolutely real, they're holding it back from us. They need to release it. There were other folks who were convinced that it, it didn't exist. For me, you know, just thinking about these things realistically, like my response was always like, there is probably a version, an assembly cut uh, of this film that exists that's not finished, that that couldn't just be released. Uh, and I stood by that. And like every time I would say, technically it doesn't exist, you know, I, I would have to explain that because it's it's really easy for people to be like and, and jump down your throat and say, you're wrong. It absolutely exists. But it's like, well, no, it, it technically doesn't exist. Like, yes, I agree that there is a version that he has probably laid out, but it, it's going to be too long. And, and sure enough, as we started hearing, you know, oh, there's a three and a half, four hour version of this film. There's a three and a half, four hour, you know, assembly that Zack Snyder has. You know, it started to be confirmed by us, by the actors in the film who who had claimed to have seen it and, and saw it. And so for years, for literally about three years since the release of this film, there's been this, this barrage of people fighting for the release of this version well fast forward 2020 we see the release of hbo max all right cool 
you know, a lot of us start thinking like this is probably a, a cool like it, they're struggling with people getting people to sign up. They're struggling with with people understanding what the service is. Wouldn't a cool thing to do be to, I don't know, release the Snyder Cut on HBO Max? Whatever was going on in the universe, Warner Media, Warner Brothers, HBO, they also agreed with the universe and and sought to in a sense, make amends with Zack Snyder, but more realistically, we know it's not about the studio's relationship with the director. It's about making money. It's about selling subscriptions. Snyder Cut, given the fan reaction and the fan fervor for it, was something that they needed to do because they knew more people would sign up for HBO Max. So it was a no-brainer. And so basically they said, hey, Zack Snyder's gonna come back, he's gonna work on it, we're gonna release the Snyder Cut, we're gonna release Zack Snyder's Justice League sometime next year. And we heard all sorts of stuff about what this was going to be. Some versions said, oh, it's gonna be a mini miniseries, it's gonna be like a six-part miniseries, each week we're gonna get a different part of it, but it's gonna be kind of the complete cut of the film. And then we started hearing differently. Oh, it's just going to be a, a four part. Oh, it's going to be in black and white. All of these different rumors going around. Reshoots started happening. Some stuff was brought back. About $30 million, I believe, overall was spent on completing this film. So again, you know, like I said before, you know, it was clear that there was not a complete version of Snack Snyder's vision of this film. They had to go back. They had to complete CGI. They had to do different things. And, and again, he reshot some stuff. He added scenes that were not in that original cut of his, um, all to make this kind of definitive version of his vision. And, and again, like this wasn't for money for Zack Snyder. You know, I, again, I, I implore you to read that amazing article that really gets into this. But, you know, again, he was doing this because it was, it was cathartic in a way. It was a way for him to heal um, from, you know, the immense trauma that he had experienced that took him away from working on this film. And, you know, and it, it was very clearly a, a labor of love. And what's interesting about it is, is upon seeing the restored film, you know, upon seeing this kind of final version, you know, this past week, and weekend and, and having watched it twice, you know, there's a lot that you can say about Zack Snyder and his vision and the way that he does things. Maybe you don't like slow motion, you know, he, he overuses it, I will agree. Maybe you wish he used a, a brighter color palette or, or a more colorful palette. Like, you know, yes, his scenes can be quite drab and, and you know, the, the visuals can be is somewhat dull, you know, maybe, maybe you wish he used less music and montage and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you on any of those things, but there is something really beautiful about being a, being able to see a creator share kind of their full vision, especially when you look at, you know, kind of the triptych that is Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman and, and Justice League. Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I, I mean, I, I think it's just really awesome to be able to view the complete set. And that's that's really where I kind of came at this from. And, and again, if you listen to that episode where I talk about hoping it's good, like 
that's where I was coming from the entire time. I wanted to see his complete vision. But the thing that's that's really awesome about Zack Snyder's Justice League is the fact that that complete vision elevates the material so much above where it was at because, you know, frankly, two characters suffered the most in the original theatrical cut of Justice League. Not to say that 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 more characters were not harmed. And then technically, maybe I'll say three uh, were, were kind of were damaged the most in the theatrical release. You know, one of those is is The Flash um, or Barry Allen. Uh, I was not necessarily a fan of Ezra Miller as the character, especially in the original cut. Um, you know, so the version of The Flash that we get, and this is true of both versions the, of the Barry Allen that we get in these Justice League movies, um, he is... He is a bit socially inept. He is, you know, he he's a loner. He he doesn't quite get how things work socially. And it's like, that's fine. That's fine if that's the character that you want to create. However, in the Joss Whedon version, the character is kind of moved so far to the place of buffoonery that in the final battle, he has no actual role um he's literally relegated to helping like one random family and, and doesn't really play a part in the climax which is completely different in this film and and again i will come back to this new film in a bit but you know that was something that that really stood out to me is he he was literally a joke machine he was just a he was solely a vehicle for jokes in the Joss Whedon version, you know, and it's not to say that the Flash can't be a fun and funny character. And I and I think Zack Snyder in his vision and his version was able to achieve that, but it was just taken way too far in the Joss Whedon version and it made it so that the character could not be respected and you wondered why he was there. Something that even though the introduction of the character was a little weird for me, again, I will talk about this when I get into the meat of the Snyder Cut, it, it didn't bother me as much. And the other character who who also um, was, I, I would almost say he was almost completely removed from the theatrical cut of Justice League uh, was Victor Stone, Cyborg, uh, who in Zack Snyder's Justice League is... He's the emotional linchpin of the entire film. Like it, it, it's ridiculous because when I say that that the Joss Whedon theatrical cut of Justice League is a nothing film, a big part of that is there is no emotional connection to what is happening in that film. And a big part of that you realize watching Zack Snyder's Justice League is because they removed the character that is at the heart of this film. Cyborg's story is the one that you feel yourself being emotionally tied to, and it's his story, it's his life that ties directly into some of the actions that are taking place within the story, especially once you get into the kind of climax, the, the, the last third of the film. Cyborg is so intrinsically linked to what is happening that it, it's it's really just it's it's really just depressing. Um, that we did not get the full version of that character that we should have when the film was initially released. And so 
again, I will come back to us to, to this as I talk through the Snyder Cut, but it's like, all right, you've turned one of our heroes into a walking joke. You've removed everything valuable about this other character. Like, I, I, I again, in the theatrical cut of Justice League, we don't even have an understanding of what Cyborg's powers are. We don't know what Cyborg can really do other than interface with machines. In this version of the film, we get so much information about who he is, what type of person he is, um, how he's struggling, and also how he wants to do good. Things that were all missing from the theatrical cut. So, you know, and again, this is like, this is all easy to talk about, but it's hard to explain if you haven't seen the film. Basically, the way that I would put it is, everything that would get you to care about the actions happening on the screen was completely ripped out of the Justice League for the theatrical cut. And so that's part of why that film doesn't work. You just, besides not knowing why anything's happening, you don't care that any of it is happening because you have no emotional attachment to any of the characters or anything that is happening. Um, and so like that, you know, by far is is the greatest advancement with Zack Snyder's Justice League. And so, you know, if nothing else, that was that was really, really good to see. And, and I'm glad we were able to get this version of it. You know, now, now just to, to be on the kind of like short version of the review side of things, like, is this film great? Is it even good? I, I don't know. It, it's hard to say because you know, watching this film, it is a reaction, you know, even though this is this is the director's original vision, the film and our viewing of it is a reaction to a film that had already been released. So it, it, it's almost impossible to say if it's good or if it's just good by comparison. What I will say is I found it, you know, me. Uh, and so I I'm going to add the caveat beforehand that I love superheroes. I love superhero movies. I want them all to be great. Not all of them are great, um, but I am always interested in seeing different versions of characters. Like one of the great things about DC specifically, and Marvel has this too, is, is this idea of the multiverse and the idea that I can see different versions of these characters. There are alternate timelines, etc. So I can see versions that aren't all the same. So the characters that I see on the screen in Zack Snyder's Justice League do not need to be the same exact versions that I watched in the Saturday morning cartoon version of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. It's fine that they are different. It's fun that they are different, even though that that might be a struggle for fans from time to time, including myself. Um, so I say all that to say that I found this, even this four hour version, enjoyable and entertaining. Now, as, as somebody who loves film, is interested in editing and storytelling, does it need to be four hours? Absolutely not. I think there is enough that could have been cut out of this version of the film. And again, I understand this is Zack Snyder's vision, and that's fine. I, he was able to complete it. I think it's good. If it were edited, I think you could probably get this film down to three and a half to three hours. Um, you know, and again, some of that might be adjusting, getting rid of some of these montage moments, getting rid of some of the slow motion. And there are a few scenes that don't actually add anything. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna pretend like they're not. Um, 
but that's kind of that's that's kind of where I, where I would say I stand on it. You know, I I put it in the title of this episode. I've talked about it with everybody who who has kind of asked for my opinion on it. Like mileage may vary with Zack Snyder's Justice League. If you like Zack Snyder's take on the DC universe, you're going to love this. You're going to think this is amazing and demand that he gets to make sequels. Hey, I, I'm not going to lie. I would love to see this guy get some sequels. I'm not going to say that this is the definitive version of any of these characters for me. Um, I think each of them are handled better in different places. Uh, and, and there are definitely other, other things that I would watch for these characters first, but I think he does a really good job with this. That said, not everybody's going to feel the same way. Some people are going to want their superhero movies to be more joyful, more silly, take themselves less seriously, uh, paint the heroes more as people and less as gods. Like, I understand all of those things. And so I know that this version of Justice League isn't going to be for everybody. And I, and I think that's something that, you know, we have to remember with all films you know, everybody is going to react to things differently and it's going to be influenced by their past experiences, the stuff they've read in the past, the stuff they've watched in the past, their own emotional reactions to things. All of those are going to shift the way that you interact with a piece of media. And the Snyder Cut is no different. You know, you're either, you know, I'm not going to say it's like either you're going to love it or you're going to hate it because there are going to be people who are all over the place with it. There are going to be people who love parts of it and hate other parts of it. I mean, I'm one of those people who probably hates certain specific parts of this, uh, but loves others. Um, you know, and, and I think that's something that's, you know, that's just the reality of these films. So, you know, the thing that I would say is if you are if you are interested in Zack Snyder's Justice League, give it a try. You know, maybe you'll find something that you like. Maybe you won't. Maybe maybe this is not for you at all. Uh, but you're not going to know that un until you give it a try. So with all of that out of the way, like I, I really I really want to kind of talk to some of the things that stood out to me uh, as I was watching the film. So, you know, these are going to be some odds and ends that are going to touch on some of the, you know, some of the things that happened in the film, but also other observations that I made about Zack Snyder, his filmmaking, about the characters, about their portrayals. Um, so, you know, just, just kind of bear with me. This is going to be a little bit of an experiment. This is something that I haven't really done before, but I'm thinking about doing this for, for more films going forward. So, um, one of the first notes that I wrote myself is that it, it, it really is on the nose, but I, I like the idea of Superman's death being the literal call to action for, for pretty much everything that's happening in the film. So, you know, within the context of, of BVS, you know, Superman dies and that's kind of it. In, in this version of the film, we get this kind of this split second reaction where as Superman is dying, he lets out this death yell that reverberates across the planet. And you see it hit the mother boxes, which are, are kind of like the MacGuffin of the film. Uh, basically, these three boxes that when combined together have the power to subjugate a world. Um, normal stuff. Um, 
Superman lets out this death yell that reverberates across the world. It interacts with these mother boxes and activates them, causes them to send out their call that brings the villain to Earth. But at the same time, it's something that our heroes also react to. And I thought that was like just a really interesting way to portray that. You know, Superman has died and how has that kind of caused this this grand shift across the planet? And, you know, there's there's a part of me that wishes they had done more with that. You know, something that, that I, I made a note of throughout the film was just the fact that I don't feel that they quite did enough with the idea of the absence of Superman and, and what that means for the characters in this story. So, you know, we get a little bit of it through the POV of of Lois Lane, um, you know, who is in love with with Clark Kent, Superman. Um, she is basically his humanity um for for lack of a better way of putting it and, and so we get a lot of it through her we get some of it through batman um we hear the flash talk about how superman was his hero but i i don't think we necessarily see it enough and i don't think the film does quite a good enough job of you know what does the world look like in the absence of superman and i'm not just talking about you know, oh, like everything is darker because Superman is dead or, or we're, we're flying our flags at half staff because Superman is dead. But but really, you know, what is the emotional impact that that has on our characters? What does that how does that change, you know, really, really alter folks? And so, like, you know, obviously we see it the most with Batman, um, but I, I would have been interested in seeing it more from a character like the Flash. So rather than just saying, hey, Superman was my hero, what does that mean to him? You know, how how does the absence of Superman truly affect the Flash and, and why he does what he does? Like, did that put him on a journey to be more of a superhero or not, you know, so it's, it's just things like that that I wish were, were kind of gone into a little bit more. But overall, you know, again, I, I think that opening makes a lot more sense. I think they do a better job with the opening of this film. You know, the call to action leads right into Batman going and trying to recruit Aquaman failing, of course, but but really trying to recruit him. And, and within that scene, within within, you know, trying to recruit Aquaman, I, I think they also do that thing that I that I mentioned before, where Snyder is really trying to make these characters feel like gods and show the reverence that people have for them, uh, which which, again, I think is is a little bit of the piece that that's missing for Superman in this film. It exists in, in Batman v Superman. You know, it, it is the scene that I that I love where Superman, after saving a child from a burning building, uh, is in the middle of a, a a Dia de los Muertos celebration. And, you know, you just have all of the people around him reaching out to touch him. And it really frames Superman as this God, as this being. And that's part of this montage that, that shows Superman going around the world and performing all of these amazing deeds and just the reverence that people have for him. And so we, we get a version of that with Aquaman who 
is is helping out these small villages that can't be reached at certain times of the year, bringing them fish, bringing them food. And as he leaves, as Batman watches him leave, you know, again, in, in a scene that I, I don't think is necessary, but I like it for what it is saying tonally and, and, and thematically is this this group of, of women are, are singing uh, as Aquaman returns to the sea. And, it, and it's just, it, it, again, it, it's just, it's showing what Zack Snyder wants us to feel about these characters. They are God, they are revered as such. And, you know, I, I just I just think it's it's a, a really interesting way to display that. And, and it's different than just having, you know, the, the typical heroic shot, which sure, he uses a lot of that in his films and a lot of that in his filmmaking generally. Uh, but I but I feel showing the reverence in this way. Um, and even there's there's a part where it's like in order to go back into the water, Aquaman removes his shirt and leaves it. And you see one of the women pick it up and like smell it and clutch it to her chest as if it is this like holy object. And I, I, I you know, again, like I, I, in some ways, you know, I, I said the thing that I feared about Zack Snyder's Justice League was that it was going to be a little bit up its own butt. But like, that's the kind of thing that I like. Where I don't like it so much is, you know, early in the film when we're first kind of introduced to Wonder Woman and Zack Snyder's Justice League, you know, she is stopping a terrorist attack and you know, while her actions of saving people are great, you know, she murks like all of these dudes. And it's like, again, it's, it's, it's another way that Zack Snyder is trying to impress upon us that these folks are gods. Um, but I, but I think it's a level of violence and fury that I, I don't necessarily enjoy watching because it's like it's clear that she has murdered these people and, and granted they are they are they're looking to do harm to a group of children so I, I you know can't be too mad about the fact that wonder woman decided to take them out like hey you know they they kind of had it coming you know i'm not gonna, <laughs> not gonna not gonna pretend like they didn't um but it but it is it, you know for for me it is that kind of challenge where you know you you still are separating versions of that character or or what you perceive that character to be um you know and, and it's like you have to separate that out from um you know, kind of the director's creative vision and the storyteller's creative vision. So it's like, I understand why it was done. You know, maybe I wouldn't have done it in my version of Justice League, but it's not necessarily a problem that it has happened. Uh, and, and again, it doesn't necessarily take anything away from the story. Um, you know, if anything, it, it clearly shows that Wonder Woman is a character who is going to do whatever it takes to protect people. Um, something that, that technically does come back later in the film. You know, we are reminded, yes, Wonder Woman will do what it takes to make sure that we stay protected. So, you know, I thought that was, that was kind of an interesting approach there. Um, you know, kind of a, a neither here nor there note that I wrote my, for myself was that the Amazon theme, you know, part of the Wonder Woman theme, you know, really makes me want to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, you know, it's just this really, really 
epic, uh, you know, uh, almost yodel-like vocal, um, you know, signaling, you know, beautiful woman's voice, uh, you know, kind of signaling that this character is here or is coming. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things that I, that I really wanted to talk about. Like Junkie XL's score is good. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say that it is not a good score. Um, you know, obviously he had limited time to work with it. He had to redo the score completely for this new version of the film. And, and I think he did a really good job, but you know, really the most standout piece of music throughout the entire thing is the Wonder Woman theme that I believe he had created for um, Batman v Superman. It, it's adjusted here uh, for this film. There's embellishments made, uh, but it, but it's basically the same theme. Um, and so, the, you know, none of the other characters, like, you know, had I not been watching all of these films again before getting to this one, you know, I, I may not have picked up on, you know, Superman's theming or, or, or you know, Batman's theme. I, I honestly could not identify if it was played for me, you know, and, and I think that's one of the draw drawbacks here because, you know, in the theatrical cut of Justice League, Joss Whedon brought on Danny Elfman and along with Danny Elfman, they used a lot of kind of the classic, um, at least the classic Batman and Superman themes um, that we were kind of used to. And so that led to certain theme, certain scenes feeling a little bit different, feeling a bit more iconic to the characters in a sense. Um, and, and that was kind of missing from this version. So, you know, there's, there's a part of me that wishes there was a way to kind of achieve a happy medium there. But again, because, because those classic themes weren't really used in the other films, they, they don't necessarily make sense here. They don't, they, they aren't consistent. And I think that's something that you, you struggle with when you are kind of using iconic characters like this and they have these classic, beautiful themes that you want to use, but um, you know, you, you, not, you can't necessarily because they don't work with the story being told here, uh, or, the, or they don't work, you know, with, with the way that the films have been set up so far. So, you know, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but it's just something that I notice, and it stands out in a scene, you know, much later in the film where it was just like, oh, they use this cool version of Superman's theme that's different and kind of darker, but in this version of the film, the Zack Snyder's, you know, version of the film that doesn't happen. And it, and it, you know, again, the music that's used is good. It just doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same emotional impact on you. But again, that emotional impact only exists because I am familiar with the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. I am familiar with um, Tim Burton's Batman. If I didn't have those points of references, those themes wouldn't necessarily mean anything to me. And so it doesn't really matter whether or not they're in the film. One pretty major change that I that I do really like in this version of the film is uh, the character Steppenwolf, who's kind of the the main the main antagonist for this film uh, that the characters that our heroes directly face off against. He just looks way cooler in this version of the film. Um, you know, I, I know that doesn't really help on an audio podcast, but but definitely look up a before and after of Steppenwolf. 
uh, quite frankly, we just love a glow up. Like the character looks so much cooler. He seems more, just because he looks cooler, he seems more threatening. And, and I think that's what you want to get from a villain. It also makes me wonder like, why did they give us the theatrical version that they did? Because he does not look cool or interesting at all. Like he looks, he looks like rushed CGI, quite frankly. And putty and gross and I don't like it. And this new version is so much better, um, you know, but kind of staying on like the look of things and, and stuff like that. One of the things that stood out to me, you know, early on, there is a fight between Steppenwolf and the Amazons. And, you know, it really made me think about the way Snyder depicts battles. And, you know, it, it had me thinking, like, as I was watching these scenes and, and having rewatched it a couple of times now, um, you know, it, it really reminded me of Baroque paintings of war. And, you know, just looking through something, I was looking at uh, the Battle of, of Nord, Nordlingen, Nordlingen uh, in 1634 by, by Jacques Courtois. And, and, it was one of those things that like, I'm looking at this painting, I'm looking back at this film and it's just like, there's something there, you know, knowing, knowing that a guy like Zack Snyder went to art school, looking at the way that he references paintings, uh, specifically Baroque paintings in the work that he's creating, knowing that he is interested in those things, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily surprising um, that some of the scenes in his films are reminiscent of those paintings. So, you know, I, I definitely think that's something that's interesting to to look at uh, with Zack Snyder's work. So as, as much as we, we might want to joke around about how you know, macho, macho, his, his work is and everything like that. It's, it is informed by art history and a deep appreciation of art history. Um, and I, and I would just ask that, you know, when we are critiquing somebody like him, like we, we do need to realize that like, you know, his, his vision is definitely informed by, by kind of that education. And I, and I think that's really interesting. You know, granted, I mean, you know, it's impossible not to look at all of the influences on his work. Um, Zack Snyder is coming from a place where, you know, really before he got into filmmaking uh, or, or, or before he was given, you know, the director's chair, I should say, not before he got into filmmaking, because clearly he's been into filmmaking for a while. You know, this is a guy who was coming from music videos and commercials and things like that. And so to see that reflected in his work, it's undeniable. So like when we talk about the slow motion, when we talk about like the almost montage, like music video quality of some of his scenes, like that comes from, you know, what he was doing before. And he's just kind of implemented it in here in the same way that he's been able to implement some of his love for art history um, and his, his, his love of kind of photography into the work that he's doing. Um, you know, so I, I would definitely say like, keep an eye out for that stuff. Like if you are, if you are a person who has like a good arts education, like see if you can start to pick out some of those, those visual references that he might be making. I, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff there. 
you know, again, the, the, some of the things that I, that I got to before, you know, just just talking about things that were added to this version of the film um, that that didn't exist in the previous version. You know, giving us more on Cyborg, explaining who his father Silas Stone is, explaining what Star Labs does, you know, explaining how they're studying, you know, the Kryptonian technology. Um, you know, yes, like we we knew that they were looking at you know Superman's ship and things like that, but. What does that mean within the context of the story that we're given? And so being able to see more of that in this version of the film, you know, I think that was really important, especially because the work that they were doing tied into the climax of this film and, and how they were able to get to the climax. So, um, you know, there, there, there are other observations that I make that are a little sillier. I'm not going to share all of those, um, with the exception of, you know, there, there is a line, uh, where Desaad, who is, uh, Darkseid's minion, um, you know, tells Steppenwolf, you still owe the great one 50,000 worlds. And I'm sitting there just thinking about like, that's a hell of a debt to have to pay. Um, you know, there's just silly stuff like that that they throw in that that I kind of love that that builds uh, kind of how pathetic Steppenwolf is, especially when we we get introduced not too long after that to Darkseid, who, you know, if you're a DC fan, you know who Darkseid is. You know, if you're not a DC fan, think think Thanos in a, in a sense, you know, the character is different. The character is a different character, but he's similar to Thanos. Um, and, you know, he is a character who is after something called the anti-life equation, uh, which I will never do a good job of explaining, but, you know, think about it as he's trying to gain this power that would more or less give him control over the universe. And so, you know, we are introduced to this character in this flashback, you know, we find out that he is the person who sent Steppenwolf, um, and, you know, it's cool seeing this character in there. Um, I don't know how much he really adds to this version of the film. Um, and, you know, when we're first introduced to him, I, you know, I have to say, like, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of that introduction, especially given the fact that, you know, again, this is this is just one of those things like in the comics, in the in the TV shows, like, you know, he is he is a very intelligent, though brutal character. Uh, and when we first are introduced to him here, you know, he is just a brute. And so it's, it's just one of those challenges where, you know, you, you, again, you're fighting through, you know, this version of this character, why, you know, how, how difficult is it for you to divert, divorce yourself from the version of that character that, that, you know, uh, when someone else is doing something with him. And so that was, that was a challenge that I faced kind of early on watching this film and being reintroduced to this character, um, through Zack Snyder's eyes. Um, you know, I, I, I think the character looked good. I think they did a fun job with, with the battle that introduces him showing, the 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 Greek gods and the Amazons and the Atlanteans and and the men of Earth and and a Green Lantern all fighting 
um, this great evil that had come. I, I thought that was a fun scene. You know, it was a, a kind of a remixed version of a scene that we had Steppenwolf fight in um, in the in the theatrical cut. So, you know, I, I thought that was cool. Um, you know, one of the things that that it made clear is, you know, doesn't matter what scientific sci-fi or fantasy universe it is, men will always be the worst at hiding objects of great power. These guys literally just buried it in the woods, uh, but somehow it was the last box found. So I can't even be mad at them. One thing that I am a little bit mad about, and I did talk about this a little bit earlier, was the idea of how the Flash is introduced in this film. So, you know, the Flash Barry Allen is shown as being socially inept. Um, when we when we meet him in this film, he is going for a job interview at a pet store. Um, you know, he's supposed to be a college student. He's supposed to be trying to pay for a criminal justice degree. You know, he's got a lot of, you know, odds and ends jobs. We understand that you do what you have to do to make the money that you need to, to do whatever you're trying to do. Like we, we get that, you know, that part is fine. What's weird though, is, is kind of the weird, I don't even want to call it weird. It, it's like, there's this, like, it, I, I, I don't know why they chose to go the way that they did with this character. And in some ways it, it I'll just be frank, like the, the way that they introduce his powers is, is really cool. He runs into the character of Iris Rust, who's never actually named in the film, but um, he runs in the character Iris West. She's you know, leaving the store as he's entering, she gets ready to drive off a, you know, a big wheel, you know, a 16 wheeler plows through an intersection that it should have stopped at because the guy who's driving it's trying to reach for a burger that he dropped on his gross floor. It, clown shoes stuff like, you know, it feels utterly ridiculous. Um, Iris West crashes her vehicle into this vehicle and the Flash has to run and save her. And, you know, at first, you know, it's it's a weird setup. It, it feels unreal. I'm I'm fine with that, I guess. Uh, I don't I don't love it, but whatever. Do whatever you have to introduce us to his powers. When we were first shown his powers, it looks awesome. You know, he turns around to run out. He's moving so fast that his his socks and his shoes explode off of his feet. You know, he's moving so quickly that he literally just taps the glass in front of him and it, it explodes out. And, you know, he's everything is in slow motion. He's kind of moving in more or less real time. It's still sort of slow motion because it's Zack Snyder. Um, I hate the cheesy song that they play during it, but you know, there's this, this really kind of creepy moment where he's saving Iris and he's just kind of like, like moving her hair out of the way, getting like a really good look at her face. What do you say? It's just like, it feels creepy. Um, you know, and it's one of those things that I I'm sure was not the intention uh, when they were filming the scene. Like it, it clearly was not the intention, um, but the way that it read to me and, and the way that it read to a few other people that I know who have seen this was like, that is creepy. Uh, you know, so it's like, I, I would just ask that people when they are making films, when they are showing people use their powers in certain ways, like 
really think about how your audience is going to read it. Um, because what should have been like a really cool moment of the flash using his powers and saving this person, uh, felt like a really stalkery moment. I did not like it, uh, especially given how much I like the Barry Allen and flash character generally. So, um, you know, that said, I think they do a pretty good job with him in the, the rest of the film. Um, there's one part that I, that I do have a little bit of a complaint about that I think could have been done a little bit better. Um, but, you know, that that's what kind of stuck out to me. Um, you know, one thing that, that I that I also took note of at, at this point in the film when I was watching it was like I, I did actually kind of like that it was broken up uh, with park markers. So if you could not get through the entire film in one sitting, uh, you kind of had a sense of where you could break it up. Like, you know, I would argue that I feel like certain parts didn't work as well to be broken up, um, especially earlier in the film. Uh, but, you know, you could definitely do it if you wanted to watch it that way. Um, you know, again, like I, I think one of the things that I touched on earlier, you know, outside of Flash, Cyborg had some really interesting things. You know, we get to see his origin story. Um, you know, we learn about the car accident that destroyed his life, took his mother's life. Um, how his father, you know, figured out how to use uh, the mother box to rebuild his body and how that gave Cyborg his connection to the mother boxes and, and, and again, really made him intrinsic to the plot of the film. I, I think that was a really important thing to add. And, you know, again, it's just like the emotion of it all, you know, Cyborg having his entire life fundamentally changed by an accident and then fundamentally changed again by the mother box and you know feeling betrayed by his father even though his father did what he did because he couldn't bear the idea of losing his son and feeling guilty that he, he hadn't had enough time with him you know that he had put his work uh, all too often in, in front of his relationship there. I just, again, it's just like removing that from the original film was such a disservice, both to the actor, uh, but also to the story that was being told. Because, you know, I think almost anybody who watches this version will realize like Cyborg is the heart of this. And, and without that, like it, it doesn't work. You just don't care. Um, you know, and, I, and I, I really think that everything done with Cyborg from showing how, you know, again, in flashbacks, showing that he was a good person, you know, who was willing to do whatever it took to help his friends. You know, he was a brilliant athlete. He was a genius level intellect, um, you know, and then seeing him being kind of, you know, granted this power that he fears at first because he in some ways feel that he is is less human now um but watching him learn to use his humanity um to influence the way that he uses the power he's been granted it's just like it's it's again it's it's if you are looking at kind of you know the the superman mythos as presented by Zack snyder you know i feel like this is this is a good counter part to that you know we see 
we see through Cyborg a, a different way of, you know, for Cyborg, it's reaffirming his humanity. And, and I think that, I think that's really kind of brilliantly done with the way that this character is used in this film. Like we understand why he's in so much pain, um, but we also understand the amount of good that he wants to do for the world. And so his heroic journey, uh, it, it, it's just so compelling and, you know, and, and I think it's, it's unforgivable the way that, you know, again, we weren't there on set, you know, we don't know how those reshoots were, but we know that Ray Fisher had filed, you know, had filed complaints about the way that he and the others were treated during the reshoots of this film. And, you know, it, it's clear by the amount of that character, amount of his character that was removed from this film, um, and how little he was given and even how other characters interacted with him via those reshot moments, it, it makes me wonder if there was some form of retaliation against him uh, for some unknown reason. Because again, it, the stuff with Cyborg is good. It's some of the best stuff in this film. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just, that's just, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, one, one thing that I, that I will say to, uh, so the, the flash and cyborg both contribute to kind of a scene that no matter which version of your film of the film you're watching comes kind of right at the middle, um, is, is the sequence where, you know, Steppenwolf has captured these scientists and he's trying to get the location of the mother boxes from them. And, you know, basically in the theatrical version, Steppenwolf starts killing scientists. The Justice League don't like they're literally sitting around not doing anything and they wait too long and, and some of the scientists die in the Snyder cut version of it. The Justice League arrive. They save people before Steppenwolf and the, you know, parademons can kill anybody. And and one, that's that's a huge step up because what do people always complain about in superhero movies? Oh, we don't see them saving anybody. So we got that. Um, that said, the one thing that I did like in the theatrical cut that doesn't exist here is um, in the theatrical cut, you know, Flash is unsure of what to do and Batman tells him to save one. Um, in this version of the film, with the exception of kind of pushing um, Wonder Woman's sword back to her, in a lot of this entire sequence, the Flash feels kind of unnecessary. Um, and so like, I, I somewhat wonder if they had retooled that to give him uh, more motivation in this sequence, um, you know, I, I get it. It's like it, part of it might just be the Flash is trying to figure out how he can be of service to the team, um, you know, and, it, and it's kind of showing how they're not necessarily really working together in that first part. You know, I think that's what they're trying to show. Um, but I but I feel like there, there could have been something done better with the Flash in that scene so that he didn't feel kind of... Um, like he 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 wasn't around uh but again you know I, I think a lot of this was handled so much better this scene led to a part where we get a better sense of you know why they came to the decision why they felt that they could bring superman back from the dead all of that just just worked better and you know, again, it leads up to this, to this great moment that, you know, still, whether you're watching the theatrical cut or, or the, the Zack Snyder's Justice League, 
the scene of Superman's return and the ensuing fight that the heroes must have with him, you know, it, it, it's great. It, it's my favorite part of the whole thing. You know, sure, missing Danny Elfman's score in in kind of Zack Snyder's version, but you know, it still works. And they and they remove some of the things that didn't quite work um, from from the theatrical cut. Um, you know, Gal Gadot's uh, delivery of Kal-El No is still horrible, but like the entire thing just plays out a lot better. They remove the whole, you know, Superman asking Batman, do you bleed thing? Cause it didn't make sense. Um, you know, the, just the whole scene works a lot better. Lois Lane is there for a reason that way, makes way more sense than, you know, Batman just how happened to have her get picked up. Like all of it just made more sense and, and worked better. Um, you know, even though like in a lot of ways, you know, it was coincidence that she was there, but like the reason she was able to get there, it just, it all made sense. It worked more. It also made the situation feel more dire. Um, something that I, that I didn't necessarily feel the first time around. So, you know, still really love that aspect of the film. Um, you know, I, I think, I think the Superman stuff that they have, uh, Though it is limited, it, it does work really well. Um, you know, that also reminds me, you know, they, they one thing that I do have to complain about is like there is a great scene between, uh, you know, Martha Kent and Lois Lane uh, where they are talking and, and it's a really beautiful, heartfelt scene. You know, again, speaks to the loss of Superman, the, the absence of him, the absence of Clark, the absence of Superman and how that affects people. Uh, however, for whatever reason, they decided to undercut that in the film with an appearance by the Martian Manhunter. And and I, I feel like it's kind of unforgivable because like it, it, it removes, it removes what is an excellent scene an excellent character interaction, um, you know, and, and, and undercuts it for the sake of a, you know, a reveal that they think is cool but it's an unnecessary reveal and it doesn't fully make sense for the story that's being told. Um, you know, but again, I, I think the rest of that works really well. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, the, the way that they have Superman reacclimatize is, is nice. You know, some of it isn't changed too much, but you know, there is a little bit more that I, that I think is quite a bit more impactful. Um, you know, and then again, you know, I, like I think, from there, it really leads into, um, you know, kind of the 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 end sequence of this film. And, you know, again, I think the 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 final battle, we'll, we'll call it, of this film is so much more it's so much better realized. Um, and part of that is just because, all right, you know, we are able to have the superheroes team up and fight together. You know, it's not a bunch of folks fighting Steppenwolf one-on-one. -on -one. It's they're actually doing team ups and, you know, everybody is coming together. Um, you know, I, I just I just feel like it's just handled a lot better. It makes a lot more sense. Um, and, you know, again, it's just like what what it could have been, you know, by by making sure that these heroes are fighting in an abandoned city as opposed to needing to save random Russian family, you know, and, and whatnot. It, it just makes more sense. It feels better. Um, 
you know, the Flash is given more to do because he doesn't just have to to do that. Like, I mean, he is he's building up enough charge so that he can hit Cyborg and give him the charge to separate the mother boxes to stop the unity. Like, it just works so much better. Um, and and I and I really love that aspect of it. And and Superman arriving, you know. It's like one of those things where it's like it's kind of the icing on the top because, you know, the heroes aren't doing terribly, but it's like they need some help. And so seeing Superman and Wonder Woman and Aquaman like triple team Steppenwolf and like there is no way he can win is just so, so cool, um, you know, but then, you know, again, like one of the things that I think is really cool about this version of the ending is like the heroes technically lose. Like we watch the heroes lose. They, they don't do what they were trying to do fast enough. And, you know, we see cyborg and Superman and wonder woman and Aquaman and they are dead. And, you know, as Batman as well, like we're assuming Batman too, like they are vaporized and the flash has to tap into the speed force and use the speed force. And just like the sequencing of it is so well done. Like the flash, you know, tapping into this power that he has kind of promised not to use. And, you know, essentially hearing the flash talk to himself and, you know, and kind of telling his father who's, who's not there, but like he, he wants him to know, like, he was one of the heroes who helped save the world. Like, you know, I amounted to something like essentially telling his father, I amounted to something. Um, you know, and I think that is something that through quite a few characters is something that, that you, you really, you really hear from a bunch of the characters. Like they, they want they want that recognition from those that they love, that they mattered. Um, you know, and, and again, I, I think a lot of that, um, you know, a lot of that comes from, you know, Zack Snyder's own love for his family and, and you know, that that tragedy that I, that I referenced. And, you know, even though, you know, it was these were probably written at different times you know it just it, it feels it feels connected in this way where it's like you know all of the things that you wish someone could know about you or, or how you feel about them you know all of the love that you want to share with a person um that you can't give to them you know so whether it's it's cyborg listening to a message from his father after he's passed or the flash, you know, hoping that his, his father realizes that he, he's amounted to something, which, which again, like the flash is a character who, you know, he is trying to prove that his father, you know, had not committed the mother, uh, the murder of his mother. And, you know, so like there's th these characters all have these, you know, kind of motivations about their self-worth and, and wanting to, know and wanting to be seen as having made a difference and you know or or even beyond that just wanting to be seen you know i think that's that's the, the whole superman thing like the the struggle of man of steel and batman v superman that that we we kind of just look past is the fact that 
you know, those are stories really about Superman wanting to be seen and loved as a as a person, as a being, and and not just as a god in a way. And I don't know. Like I just I just feel like that's ultimately where where towards the end of this film, like even though again, these are godlike beings, I think there's a lot of the humanity of these characters uh was fully achieved in the end. Um yeah, you know, and, and, and again, like I, I know I know I spoiled a lot of things, but like I I, I think I don't know. I just there, there's a lot that I that I really liked about it. And, and again, maybe this is just me projecting my own feelings onto the film that I saw. Uh, but I think a lot of it was done so much better. And a lot of these characters were done more justice. Uh, I, I will break down uh, some things that I that I don't think works. Uh, I'll go through that in a second. But, you know, one last thing that I'll say about like the overall film, uh, there are there are nightmare sequences in this film, much like in Batman v Superman, where, you know, Batman has the vision of the future where, you know, parademons are everywhere. Superman is killing people, etc. They have those in this film. There's an extended one right at the end. I personally don't feel that it adds anything. Some people think it's the best interaction between Batman and the Joker ever. Um, I could take it or leave it. Um, you know, that's that's where that quote that I play in the beginning of the episode comes from. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it, it's fine for me. Like, I, I played Injustice, you know, that storyline where Superman goes evil because of the death of, of Lois Lane. You know, they've done Superman attacks Earth stories in the past. They can be good. Um, you know, I I wouldn't be mad if I saw, you know, a, a version of that in the movies at some point. Uh, but I but I also am, I'm not, you know, beating down the door for it. So um, I think that's that's another area where mileage very much will vary for some people. But, you know, again, overall, is it better? Yes, absolutely. It is. If it is a good your mileage may vary. I found it enjoyable. I found it entertaining. I thought that this version of the film solved a lot of the problems that I had with the theatrical cut, but there are still other issues apparent to me. Um, you know, again, I, I thought that for a four hour movie, it flowed pretty well. Um, when I first watched it, I made it three hours and 40 minutes without needing to go to the bathroom. And honestly, that got me to the epilogue, um, you know, and I watched most of the epilogue before um, that actually got me to the original post credit scene, which, you know, uh, if you watch the theatrical cut, the post credit scene is an interaction between Lex Luthor and Deathstroke. They barely change the scene, but they make it that much more sinister. Uh, and it makes both of the characters in that scene feel like way more of a threat. So, um, you know, I, I think that was a change that was well worth it. Um, but yeah, again, you know, I think it's I think it's good. It, it I think it's it's definitely better. It's definitely entertaining and enjoyable for me. I think, you know, again, for a lot of the reasons why I gave at the beginning, your mileage may vary with this film. I think Cyborg and The Flash are given much more to do, but unlike Cyborg, The Flash doesn't get as meaningful a character development. 
um, and in some ways still feels mismanaged. I think they do some great stuff with the character, um, but I just would have liked a little bit more on the character development side, especially if we were going to have this longer runtime, and especially if we were going to spend more time with some of the stuff that I felt mattered less. I would have liked a little bit more care given to some of what they did with the Flash, but that's just me. Um, Batman and Wonder Woman, for me, feel like they were just kind of there. Um, that said, um, you know, I, I think I'm not going to say that the characters were poorly used. I think Batman is better used than Wonder Woman. Um, I think Batman has more solid line work, uh, more solid dialogue scenes. Wonder Woman is given better action scenes, which makes sense just given the the scope of the film and, and the threat that they're up against and, and what each of them brings to the table. So like, I, I think that makes sense. The thing that I will say about Batman that I find really interesting. So, um, you know, I mentioned up top the idea of gods and, and whatnot, and in a very biblical sense, I, I like that Zack Snyder, and this started in, in Batman v Superman, Zack Snyder has framed uh, Batman as Longinus. Um, so um, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know, there's, there's a Roman who, who stabs uh, Christ while on the cross, um, you know, and he's, he's splashed with, with the blood of the son of God. And, and eventually, you know, he, he goes on to be, uh, to, to convert to Christianity. And, you know, Batman serves as Zack Snyder's Longinus, you know, it, he, he, crap, like one, like it, it's so on the nose that like, it, it's, if you know the story, if you know, like, if you are good at picking up on these things, you'll see it. But Batman crafts a spear, uh, with kryptonite in the first film. Like that's, that's the first, that's the first thing. Um, you know, Superman is often, you know, the Christ, imagery, Christ-like imagery is often used for Superman. Um, so, you know, do that math, um, splash with the blood, you know, Superman gives his life, you know, much like Jesus gives his life. Superman gives his life for the people of earth. Batman splash with the blood of Superman, uh, in a sense, converts. He is now a believer in Superman and his mission and his method. And, you know, one of the lines that I that I think just like touches me to my core within Zack Snyder's Justice League is, you know, basically Batman is having an argument with Alfred and, and Batman tells him, you know, essentially, uh, you know, there's 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 no room for reason here. You know, I'm operating completely on faith. And it's just like that idea that Batman has given himself over to faith in Superman and, and frankly, faith in these other gods that he is surrounded with. It's, it's just, a, it's a really beautiful sentiment that, that I think works really well in the context of these films. I, I don't know how well people will necessarily pick up on it, but for me, it, it, it's one of those things that I think works immensely well. Um, and, and, I, and I, I, frankly, I, I hope people pick up on it because I think it, it is it is really well done. You know, it, it is a really well done metaphor. Um, 
you know, that said, I, I still think there are some issues with the way that Superman is used in this film. So he's Superman is barely in this film. And I and I think, you know, again, I said it before. I think the Superman stuff that they have in this film is good. But again, given the long runtime, it feels like there are too few and far between scenes, you know, referencing Superman and his absence. Um, I feel that since his death is the film's call to action and it is his absence should feel like a greater blow to the world. Um, you know, clearly it is. Uh, and obviously they can't spend too much time dwelling on Superman's not here. Um, but I, I just feel like in the way that it is handled and presented, uh, it, it, it should have felt like more of, it should have felt like more of a burden that people were picking up because Superman was no longer there. So that, uh, that's just kind of something that was on my mind as I was watching the film. Um, one thing that I would say on kind of the antagonist side, adding Darkseid didn't make Steppenwolf or their quest any more interesting. And as much as I like seeing Darkseid and hearing about the anti-life equation and all that, like I would argue it didn't really add anything outside of making me want to see Darkseid in a future film uh, where he had the time to really become a character. Because again, like it's, it's, it's the Thanos thing. Like there's a difference between seeing Thanos grinning at the end of the film and seeing Thanos actually become a character and learning who he is. And it's like, I, I think it's just the wanting to see the character dark side outside of I'm just a big lumbering gray threat that's coming. Um, so, you know, I, I think that'll be really interesting. I know supposedly Eva uh, DuVernay is supposed to be working on a new gods film where Darkseid would be the villain. I think it would be really cool to see that. I'm wondering what they would do with him. Obviously, he's probably going to be different than the version we got here, but I think that would be really cool. And I mean, I, I guess I'll just end it to say I'm glad Zack Snyder could see a version of his vision through to fruition. And, and frankly, I wish we would get more of his DC universe, you know, despite despite not being, you know, completely enraptured by everything that he does or his style of filmmaking. You know, I I want to see more of it. Like, I, I, I would really love to see more of it. And I and I think if anything, the reaction, the call for the Snyder Cut um the streaming numbers that I am sure it is doing this weekend, I, I think it's a pretty safe to say that like there is a call, there is a love for this guy's work and, and people want to see more of it. So if more of it comes, you know, which, you know, I know, frankly, they've, they've been kind of like, well, you know, there's probably not going to be any more Zack Snyder Justice League stuff. There's probably not going to be any more Zack Snyder DC stuff. If there happens to be, I will be in line to see it. So fam, I, whoo, that was a lot of talking. I had a lot to say about Zack Snyder's Justice League. 
And I want to hear from you. What were your thoughts on that film? Like, were you were you enamored by it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Did you pick up on some of the same things that I did? Did you pick up other things that I didn't even mention? I, I, look, there was a lot more stuff that I could have talked about, but I didn't want this episode to be two hours. I'm hoping to get it under an hour and a half, but... If you have thoughts, share them with me at LarryTron. If you want us to reach out to me directly or at StayWatchingPod on Twitter, or you can shoot me an email, StayWatchingPod at gmail.com or send me an email directly at Larry at LM2Photo.com. I want to hear your thoughts on Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, right now, a lot of stuff going on in the comic book world. Lots of cool stuff to look forward to right now. Um, the Falcon and Winter Soldier is on Disney Plus in a few weeks. You know, there's only six parts of that event series. So when it is finished, I will be doing a uh, kind of finale episode like I did with WandaVision. We also have great stuff like uh, Godzilla versus Kong coming up. So I have an awful lot of Showa era Godzilla films that I need to watch uh, before I get there. I'm also going to do a rewatch of the American Godzilla film, the, the newer American Godzilla film, Kong Skull Island and Godzilla King of the Monsters. So um, lots of stuff for me to rewatch before that movie comes out, because I want to give you a great episode where I get to talk about my love of Godzilla and his battle of King Kong. So look forward to that stuff coming soon. As always, stay watching fam. Peace.